The Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey combines a commitment to sensitive care with a state-of-the-art program. We proudly present Fertility Talk with RSCNJ. Here's Melanie Cole. While the decision and process to have a baby for heterosexual couples may seem relatively straightforward, for same-sex couples, the path to parenthood can be quite different, but knowledge is power. Here to tell us about LGBTQ fertility options is Dr. Alan Martinez. He's a specialist in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey. Dr. Martinez, it's a pleasure to have you join us. What are some of the challenges the LGBTQ community faces when deciding to have a child? Basically, when we have outside of the heterosexual couples, we have um, same-sex, female, female, male, male, then the challenges that exist are going outside of what we call the sexually intimate partners to procure either a donor sperm sample in the female-female relationship or a uh, donor egg source for the male-male and as well as a gestational carrier. So those are the overarching themes of this field, and um, that's something that we navigate with patients all the time. So then let's start with the initial consultation. Is it different for LGBTQ couples than for heterosexual couples? And if so, how? What's discussed that might be different? Okay, so all the couples going through uh, any fertility evaluation, if it's female couples, then we're talking about one of the partners actually carrying the pregnancy. So then it's the same evaluation of the status of the uterus and potentially the the fallopian tubes to check the function. It involves blood work uh, to both examine the reserve of the ovaries for that female patient as well as the reproductive hormones and infectious disease. And then the new tests involve uh, some other kind of viral testing that is done specifically like a cytomegalovirus CMV, which is a common flu-like virus that some people will carry. However, when you're using donor sperm or donor egg, you want to assess the donor status in that case. Uh, That's the female patients. And then we sometimes do something called reciprocal IVF, where maybe one female partner will undergo the stimulation to procure eggs, and then the other one will serve as the gestational carrier with the use of donor sperm. So we involve both of both of those female patients. For the male patients, it involves semen analysis and infectious disease uh, blood work. And then it involves discussing where we're going to purchase the uh, donor eggs and as well as um, a gestational carrier and the details of that. So there are some overlapping tests that are done in both instances, but it's either procuring donor sperm or donor egg, and then some of the other subsequent uh, laboratory testing that's done. Dr. Martinez, do you help female same-sex couples decide who's going to carry the baby? Is this based on medical history? You said you take some tests for ovarian reserve and that sort of thing. Do the couples generally come in knowing? How do you help them decide that? So some couples do come to us and have a very specific plan. We will listen to that, and then what we do is we undergo testing. So we want to make sure whoever wants to carry the pregnancy, uh, they have to make sure they undergo a uterus evaluation to look for any structural things, such as fibroids, polyps. And then in the case of potentially serving as the egg source, 
they have to undergo ovarian reserve testing. So some couples that have an idea, then we will undergo the testing in a very specific manner. If we find that there's some abnormal tests, either of the uterus or the ovaries are not working as well as we would think for that individual, then we may do some additional testing. And in some cases, that can dictate my guidance on who should serve as the egg source, who should serve as the uh, uterus. And so some couples that are doing reciprocal or co-IVF is what it's called, that becomes more of a concern. Other couples, they may just want to serve as both the egg source and carry the pregnancy, and that is a little different process. But we evaluate and we guide the individuals based on the results of the test. So do couples generally ask about using a family member as a sperm or egg donor? Do you do they generally prefer anonymous? How does all of that decision making work for both types of couples? So the patients on their consultation and their evaluation, we discuss the potential source of either a gestational carrier of utilizing, you know, a person's uterus to carry a pregnancy and or the source of the sperm. And you have both known donors, which is family, friends, and you have the anonymous donors. We discuss both of those aspects. And if a patient or couple expresses an interest in using a known donor, then there are tests that we do to, first of all, make sure that that person would be a good candidate We also have both the intended parents as well as the individual where we're getting the sperm, the eggs, or using the uterus. We have them undergo both legal consultation as well as uh, counseling, psychosocial counseling, to make sure that they understand all the aspects of the process. And there's agreements on the involvement and the relationship with uh, who is going to be ultimately the parent and is responsible for that particular, uh, you know, baby should that result in the, in the uh, process. Dr. Martinez, then what options do same-sex male and same-sex female couples have when trying to have a baby? What can you offer them? Okay, so overall the outcomes are oftentimes very good as long as, you know, for the same-sex female patients, as long as you're using a egg source that has very good quality, and that's based on our testing. As long as structurally the uterus is ready to carry the pregnancy, then procuring donor sperm is a relatively easy process, either through an anonymous or a known donor, and we walk them through that process. Uh, And so the number one for female-female is the age of the egg as well as the status of the uterus. Uh, So if all tests are favorable, then the pregnancy rates are very high depending upon the level of treatment, whether it's IUI, which is intrauter insemination, just placing sperm in the uterus of one of the partners, or IVF, where we look at embryo quality, those rates can, so both of those can range from anywhere from the IUI around 20% to IVF 50% and above up to 60 or 70% per transfer and that depends upon the testing that's selected. For the male patients, they need to make sure they have good sperm quality. Then the egg source is often a young egg donor, so the egg quality is inherently good in most cases. And then they use a gestational carrier, some individual that has been proven pregnancy, so they have a good outcome, they have a 
a live birth and they didn't have pregnancy complications. And in those cases, oftentimes we can be at 60%, you know, if not higher for a particular embryo transfer. And so it really depends on the level of treatment, you know, uh, but it can be very favorable as long as uh, the individuals meet a certain standard um, as far as using the egg, sperm, and or uterus. So for male same-sex couples, if they find a gestational carrier, what else needs to be done from a medical point of view? And how about for the gestational carrier? How does all of that work? What will happen is the is the gestational carrier will settle into a legal contract that will denote the monies that is paid to that individual because oftentimes, you know, and the uh, gestational carrier is compensated both to carry the pregnancy as well as medical costs. That gestational carrier will have to undergo what we call FDA screening and laboratory evaluation to make sure that they're not carriers of any active infectious diseases, uh, make sure that structurally their body is ready to take take the pregnancy. They are often evaluated by uh, us as the medical providers, and so they come to our office for an evaluation no matter where they're from in the country. And and then we do a thorough uh, psychological evaluation and get clearance. And then when both parties agree on the terms of the treatment, then the process is initiated and uh, they are ultimately monitored. Their uterus is prepared to take an embryo, and then they undergo an embryo transfer within the confines of one of our offices. And then they go back to their life and monitor their pregnancy, and then they give birth and, you know, have a gift for that same-sex male couple. You mentioned social and psychosocial counseling and some emotional discussions that go on. Do you ever hear doubts about having children while in a same-sex relationship? What do you tell these patients? And what would you like to tell them now about coming to RSCNJ to explore their fertility options? I would advise anyone considering or listening to this podcast that all the appointments, initial appointments, are informational appointments, and there's no pressure um, put forward for them to go through any treatment. Rather, it should be served as an educational session. In that, oftentimes their fears and their worries are are allayed primarily because they just don't have an understanding of the process. Once they understand that it's very regulated, that we help them walk them through each step, then it's answering any individual concerns or misconceptions. And then we come to an agreement as a provider and as a patient to move forward with the treatment, oftentimes with a high level of success. That's excellent, and thank you so much, Dr. Martinez. You are a great guest, as always. Thank you for joining us. And that concludes this episode of Fertility Talk with RSCNJ, the Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey. Please visit our website for more information at fertilitynj.com and to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Reproductive Science Center of New Jersey podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole.